This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The inquiry into Canada's worst mass shooting has developed into a political scandal with allegations the head of the RCMP interfered with the investigation to help push liberal firearms policy. In notes uncovered by the Mass Casualty Commission, it appears that RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky demanded Nova Scotia RCMP release the type of guns Gabriel Wortman used to kill more than 20 people in advance of the rollout of new gun control measures. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Tristan Hopper joins me to discuss how these notes came to light, why this is problematic for the RCMP and the federal government, and how the inquiry itself has been faced with its own set of credibility issues. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tristan, out in Nova Scotia right now, the Mass Casualty Commission has convened and they're hearing evidence into arguably one of Canada's worst firearms tragedies. What can you tell me about what the Mass Casualty Commission is investigating and what they're hoping to find out? This is Canada's worst ever mass shooting. So this is April 2020. I, I hope everybody remembers, but this is just the first weeks of COVID-19. This was a mass shooter. Uh, basically goes on a rampage, starts in his immediate neighborhood, and basically murders all his neighbors. Very tragic. I mean, we're talking about like entire families. Parents murdered in front of their children. Houses burned down. Just people randomly investigating just shot down. So it starts there. And then the next day, everybody assumed it was that was it. Like, okay, more than a dozen people killed in this particular neighborhood. And then the next day, the murders start again in another part of Nova Scotia. And it doesn't end. Uh, so this guy keeps killing people, just randomly shooting people at the side of the road until he's eventually shot by the RCMP at a gas station while he's filling up. Uh, so we're looking at about 12 hours. You basically just had a gunman. And also, he was driving a replica police car the whole time, which sort of helped him facilitate the massacre. So 22 people killed, worst mass shooting in Canadian history. And so the Mass Casualty Commission is a federal inquiry that was convened to do what inquiries do, look into how this happened and how you can stop it from ever happening again. And just establish the facts, like here's exactly what happened. So there's no mm -hmm. And so this is looking at how he evaded capture, whether the RCMP appropriately warned the public that this person was on the loose. It's, it's kind of looking at all of these facets of what happened, I mean, short of a criminal trial, right? Yeah, yeah. There's sort of a few things that comes up. I mean, one of them is uh, you have the serial domestic abuser who has multiple replica mm -hmm. police cars. Why didn't anybody report that? And why wasn't there action on that before things went wrong? And then another big thing that's come up, it played out over two days. So the second day has come under a lot of criticism because the RCMP were late. So that first night when he killed everybody in his immediate neighborhood, there was actually not many police statements at the time. It was one of those, like, anybody who's in journalism is familiar with this, like, uh, you know, we are aware of a police incident and, uh, you know, people are advised to stay away. Absolutely no mm -hmm. details were given. Because at the time, the police thought he had just killed himself. They had no body, they had no evidence for this, but they thought, yeah, he just uh, murdered everybody in his neighborhood and he, this is over. 
And when the murders start the next day, they're late to sort of let people know that there's a gunman on the loose, could be anywhere in Nova Scotia, anywhere in Maritime even. So they like to do that. And then the very critical piece of information that he's driving a replica police cruiser, uh, that wasn't released. That was known about 7 a.m. on the morning of the second day. And that wasn't released to the public until about 1030. And then in that interim period, you had a number of people murdered who probably would have been able to save themselves if they had known this mass shooter. These were people who knew there was a mass shooter on the loose, but they didn't know he was in a replica police cruiser. So anyway, the RCMP have come under a lot of scrutiny for you didn't release information when you got it. You waited on it. And this is, you know, this is a classic criticism against the RCMP across Canada. There'll be a murder and you'll just get the statement that's like, oh, there was an incident involving someone who was a victim of a homicide. We're not releasing their name or the location or the time. Have you ever heard anything about this? So this is sort of a classic criticism against the any Canadian police. They don't ever release anything. So in the case of Nova Scotia, the allegation is because of that, extra people died because you're just, you have this culture of secrecy. I mean, a lot of this was known two years ago that there was criticism of the RCMP at the time. There were questions as to why they didn't warn the public, but everyone kind of knew that it appeared that the RCMP dropped the ball in this very horrific case. Yeah. I should also mention before, you know, we can get back, we can get back to bashing the RCMP, but uh, one of the uh, people killed, one of the 22 was an RCMP officer who directly engaged the shooter and mm-hmm. stayed with their life. And then of course the massacre didn't stop until the RCMP were able to locate him and yeah. shoot him. So, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, this massacre was brought to an end. But we know the RCMP was looking for this individual and the goal was to either bring him to justice or, eliminate the problem. And ultimately he was killed by RCMP, but the question of the public warning, and there was a lot of criticism at the time. And I think there's a, just a belief among the general public that the RCMP dropped the ball with facets of this investigation and this incident. What is the commission hoping to do with that? The commission has also been under some criticism because there was a bunch of weird decisions they sort of entertained. At the beginning, they wanted to have a trauma-centered approach. You know, good. You don't want to get people on the stand and traumatize them, and then they have you know mental health issues afterwards. But they'd taken this to such an extreme that there was criticism from victims' families, where initially the Mass Casualty Commission was entertaining the notion of no police involved in the investigation would be cross-examined. Like, they wouldn't be, I mean, that's what you do with an inquiry. You put someone on the stand, you ask them questions, and then it's over. You, I mean, you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to badger the witness. But initially, I think the commission was like, oh, we'll just do these private interviews, and mm-hmm. that'll be fine. And you had lawyers representing the victim's family saying, like, uh, yeah, we lost our mom. You know, we don't want to blame anybody, but we need someone on the stand because we're going to be able to ask them questions that might be different from the commission. So, yeah, the commission has come under criticism that they've been a bit too deferent to the police, certain angles. And uh, there was a, a few other things, like one of the families said their mom was killed in the massacre, and they said she was wearing a Fitbit at the time, and we had evidence that her heart was beating for eight hours after the RCMP declared her dead. Maybe this should be submitted as evidence, and it wasn't considered by the commission. So this was sort of the early criticism. And then the latest scandal, which is sort of the opposite of that, that's actually the commission exposing something that's the RCMP very much probably didn't want to come out. That leads us to last week when we get these notes from conversations between the RCMP commissioner and the deputy commissioner relating to the weapons used. So it's uh, what it is, is it's the commissioner of the RCMP, so the top cops in the RCMP, Brenda Lucky. And then it's uh, Darren Campbell, so he's the superintendent of the RCMP. So he's the top cop for Nova Scotia. Yeah. So it's the national head talking to a meeting that includes the Nova Scotia head. And this is a meeting on April 28th 
So this is just slightly more than a week after the massacre. So and keep in mind, this is a Nova Scotia detachment that lost one of their own in this. And I mean, any mass shooting is going to be rough on police because they're at the front lines of this. But this one, the fact that they lost an officer and also that this was, you know, very much, I mean, the guy used a replica police car to sort of perpetrate this. So there's, there's a number of reasons why this hit the police, I think, harder than a conventional mass shooting would have done. So anyway, you've got that. Uh, so in the face of this, uh, there's this meeting on April 28th. And then Brenda Lucky is meeting with Nova Scotia RCMP and basically takes him to the woodshed. And this is recorded by the notes taken by Superintendent Darren Campbell over the issue of the Nova Scotia RCMP wasn't releasing the types of firearms that were used by the mass shooter. And their justification was that it turned out these guns were illegally obtained. At least three of them were illegally obtained in the United States. So they were saying there's an FBI investigation in the States into where these guns came from. And if we release what they are, it might make it more difficult. I mean, sometimes in the course of an investigation, if it's not public knowledge what the gun is and you, you find a source who does know what the gun is, that can sort of confirm that they have some insider information. I mean, there are potential reasons why you would want that. So anyway, they weren't releasing that. And then Brenda Lucky was saying, hey, you got to release that because, uh, and said quite explicitly in this meeting, according to Darren Campbell's notes, because I promised the Minister of Public Safety, Bill Blair, and the Trudeau government, that they weren't going to leverage this tragedy to pass some gun control. And it would really help if we had uh, information about the guns to do that. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty explicitly kept in notes by Derek Campbell. And the issue there is you're in the midst of investigating Canada's worst ever mass shooting, and your top cop only seems to care about, you know, potentially jeopardizing the investigation to push some new package put together by... So, yeah, it seems to be a pretty open case of political interference. And in the wake of that, the commission reveals the details of these notes of this conversation. So like, yeah, they released our uh, superintendent Campbell's notes. What has commissioner lucky said about these notes? Is she confirmed that? Yeah, I did say that. And this is why I said it or, or is she denying it? Yeah. She puts out a statement immediately and says, uh, yeah, there was no interference. And, uh, you know, I regret how I acted in that meeting but I certainly wouldn't compromise an investigation. So that's what she said. But I mean, that is directly contradicted by, I mean, Superintendent Gamble, he gets into quite a lot of detail. He says there's people crying at the end of the meeting. He says, like we explained her, here's why we don't want to release the types of guns. And then that's not good enough. She goes back at them and says, hey, you know, I made a promise. You don't understand. You people in Nova Scotia don't understand what's at stake here. We need this gun control measure passed. It's going to be good for the RCMP. So, I mean, it's not, just a polite suggestion of like, you know, if you could release those gun information, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, really going hard on people. He called it belittling. You know, I'm disappointed. Uh, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, it's a superior coming down on a lesser officer pretty hard in this case. So basically it was Commissioner Lucky saying, uh, yeah, so there was a tense meeting, but I wouldn't call that political interference per se. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
obviously allegations of political interference. We turn to the political actors in this, and we're talking about a federal government who has previously faced allegations of political interference with the SNC-Lavalin affair and whether there was pressure put on former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to intervene in the public prosecution service to help deal with with a case against SNC-Lavalin. What has the federal government had to say for themselves in all this? Yeah, the chain of events is that the public safety minister, Bill Blair, allegedly talks to Commissioner Lucky and says, yeah, get us the gun information because we want to get this gun bill. Strike while the iron's hot, if you will. And then Commissioner Lucky pressures the Nova Scotia RCMP. So all the main all the main players in this, Commissioner Lucky uh, says, uh, no, no, no interference. And then Bill Blair basically says the same. And then Bill Blair kind of took it a bit, not public safety minister anymore, but he took it a bit further. He said, uh, yeah, no, no interference, but he kind of implied that Superintendent Campbell's notes weren't correct. I forget what the exact quote is, but he said something along the lines of like, you know, you can read his notes and he obviously had a different interpretation. So none of them are coming out and saying he's a liar. Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting in this is this isn't Superintendent Campbell sort of leaking to the press or approaching. I mean, these are taking notes that, you know, will probably be made public in the course of an investigation. But this isn't this this is different than, you know, sort of directly leaking it to the press. So you know, for all we know, Superintendent Campbell didn't even want this stuff to come out and doesn't want the political heat and, you know, wishes none of this had happened. So this is him just taking private notes. Well, not private notes, but they are police notes. So anyway, none of the major players are saying outright he's a liar, but they're very much implying so uh, because these are explicit notes and they are saying they basically point to political interference by any measure. And so when you have the major players saying, oh, there wasn't political interference, yeah, it's hard to sort of interpret that as any other way than, uh, yeah, he got it wrong and don't listen to his notes. Now, in the wake of that, we have an allegation of a political scandal against the federal liberal government that they were interfering in an active police investigation to find out where this the guns that were used in Canada's worst ever mass shooting came from. Where can we go from here? Is there calls for further testimony in Ottawa now? I know that the Mass Casualty Commission is, is still ongoing, but it, are there are there calls for an investigation at the federal level? Yeah, I think uh, Bill Blair and uh, Commissioner Lafayette are going to be brought to work uh, in front of a House of Commons committee, so we'll, we'll see if anything comes from that. I mean, we do remember, I mean, this is very similar to SNC Lavalin, because as you mentioned, the allegation in that case was essentially had the federal cabinet intervening in the criminal justice system. It was, you know, with the prosecutor in that case, instead of with an active police investigation, but, you know, interfering with the justice system for political ends. And then, of course, there was not many consequences. I mean, you can argue maybe it denied Trudeau his uh, majority in the next election, but he is still in power uh, many years after that happened. So, uh, yeah, it's not over in that um, I think there is still scrutiny on this. And I think, like a lot of scandals, it seems just so casual that you would have cabinet say, oh, there's this worst ever mass shooting. Uh, you know, there's a great time to, we were promising gun control. Maybe we should do that now. That seems like a really great thing. I'll, I'll just get you to ask the, uh, you know, commissioner, we'll get those guns. If they're not releasing it, we'll just tell them to sort of grease the wheels on that. Like, it seems so casual that critics have pointed out, I mean, if they're, if they're just casually approaching this, you know, scarred police force who just lost one of their own and is investigating to, to get some, you know, political talking points. This seems like something they're probably doing a lot. There's no evidence of that, but yeah, you, you can you can sort of be suspicious at how easy this was for the federal government to do. So we have essentially a public inquiry to a horrible tragedy beset by 
you know, allegations that it's re-traumatizing families, that it's not doing what it needs to do to get to the bottom of what happened to ensure that it doesn't happen again. We have now a political scandal that I think hurts the RCMP's credibility in this instance even more. Is there anything the RCMP or the, the commission can do? Yeah, yeah. So you have basically a, an inquiry saying uh, at the local level, you kind of had police screw ups. And then while this local screw up was happening, you had a completely different screw up. Yeah. Like at the federal level, like, oh, we don't even have time to worry about the local screw ups because we got this whole other word. We're worrying we're, we're, we're about, uh, you know, gun control up here. So, you know, I'm the commissioner. I'm not even thinking about the you know public messaging stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like two layers of screw ups. And also you got uh, right after this sort of broke last week, I think it was initially a CBC story saying when the Department of Justice turned over Superintendent Darren Campbell's notes to the Mass Casualty Commission, initially these four pages containing the standing information were not submitted. So, And they didn't even know that. So they were working with his notes that initially had these four pages excised. And then three months later, they turned them over and said, oh, actually, you know, here's the extra four pages. So I don't know why if you're doing a cover-up, you know, do the cover-up. So it, it was this weird three-month delay. And then if you ask the Department of Justice, they were like, oh, we were going over these just to make absolutely sure. They were So someone in the Department of Justice knew that this looked bad and held it for three months, and then it somehow got to them anyway. So I don't know if there's just some hero in the Department of Justice. But, uh, yeah, so you have, on top of things, suspicious things like that. And then a bunch of Mounties have come out in support of Superintendent Campbell. Mm-hmm. says, you know, with federal officials sort of implying that he takes crappy notes that aren't true, you know, this guy is, according to people who knew him, including a former commissioner, Bob Paulson, has come out and said, yeah, Superintendent Campbell is one of those old-fashioned, by-the-book Mounties. He's not given to flights of fancy. I mean, he's usually pretty diligent and professional. Maybe that's one difference in SMC Lavalin. So you did see Jody Wilson-Raybould was sort of the source of that information. And at the time, you had liberals saying, well, she's a political opportunist. She didn't fit into cabinet. You know, there's a number of reasons why you shouldn't trust her. It's a bit different when you have, you know, a sort of veteran RCMP officer who was taking notes that at the time he would maybe would not have known that they would be made public. So it's slightly different. I'm not saying, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould is not a good source, but she's a good source and Derek Campbell is a very, very good source. As you mentioned earlier, there have been problems with commission relating to families of the victims and they, I believe it was two dozen families of our boycotting or lawyers representing about two dozen families are boycotting the hearings? They were initially. I think they've, they've started returning to the proceedings, but there was a period of time in which the hearings, they were being attended by families, and then the families stopped attending, and they ordered their lawyers to stop attending mm-hmm. because two of the top Mounties, so the first incident commanders uh, on the scene, these are the first people who sort of knew what was going on and uh, had to sort of make quick decisions on the ground. They were granted a request not to be subject to cross-examination. So they were just going to have, you know, some lawyer working for the commission was going to go to their house and just do a a quick recording with them for 45 minutes. And that was it. That was going to be their testimony. So, uh, yeah, families of the victims said, uh, again, we don't blame this guy for what happened, but uh, he's an absolutely central figure in what happened. And we need him on the stand uh, because our, our lawyers need to ask questions that maybe the commission didn't think of. Mm-hmm. So when the, the Mass Casualty Commission said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, there was a briefly a boycott held by the family to protest. How long is the commission supposed to conduct its inquiry for? When may we see a report from them? That I don't know. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. 
there has also been criticism that they've kind of gone off the rails at certain points. Like they've had you know weird, like they commissioned this report out of the uh, University of California, Berkeley, about the role of like toxic masculinity in shootings. And like, you know, fair enough. I mean, it was a man who did this and, you know, he had a, a long history of spousal abuse. But I read the report and I don't think they even looked at any of the details of the Nova Scotia shooting. And they mostly just compiled this report. I don't know how much it cost just looking at mainly American shootings and, and kind of coming to these broad sociological conclusions without any specific looking at the Canadian example. I don't even think the researchers were aware that Canada had different gun laws. So yeah, there has been a, a few weird sort of side projects put together by the commission looking into stuff that kind of has a peripheral relationship to what actually happened in April 2020. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Um, at this point, there's, I, they're still working through some of the main players, but I don't know if they have a timeline as to when they'll be done. You know, inquiries in Canada just kind of go forever. Yeah, you know, I, I know we'll be following this closely in the months to come. Tristan, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tristan Hopper. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.